Welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Your Small Business Horsepower podcast is brought to you by Podbean. Also, you can get it on Google, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. And today, we're so pleased to have Mark Silverman with us today on Small Business Horsepower Podcast. Mark, welcome to the program on Small Business Horsepower. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Mahul, to be with you. No, the pleasure's ours, Mark. Give me your background a little bit, Mark, Um, your work background as we lead up to the subject here today on Small Business Horsepower. Well, I'm from Boston. And I originally went to uh, Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration. I'm a proud graduate of the class of 75. I did my master's, so I have a business background. I did my master's actually in family systems, family therapy, and my doctorate in organization development, organizational change. And I worked actually in my family's business for the first 20 years of my career. So I uh, practiced what I preach. So I began working uh, in my family's business for 20 years, worked with my mom, my dad, my sister, and my brother, and um, learned the uh, joys, the challenges, and the heartaches of working with one's family. And then I decided to specialize in that uh, very um, unique niche of family business, of those people who work with their family members. What kind of business was that, Mark? Well, we had a unique challenge, and that is I come from a business of family therapists. So I always joke with my clients, and I say, if you think it was tough for you, imagine me. (laughs) So my dad was a family therapist. He was the founder, of course. My mom was a family therapist. My brother was a school psychologist. My sister was a child therapist. There was myself. And we have another brother who is not involved in the business. And then we had, depending on the year, about five or more other psychologists on the staff. So we had a group practice of about somewhere between eight and 12 or 14 therapists. We had three or four locations. We were pretty big for a small psychological office. We were in the New England area. And um, again, it was founded by my dad, led by my dad. And we're very proud to be there. That's great. And I guess that led you here to what we're, we're here to talk about, which is on a small business horsepower, the intricacies of a family business, really, and how to navigate the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will, of family businesses. And that's why we have the pleasure of having you on the show. So let's get to write some questions. Listen, uh, do board members help family businesses? Let's start from the beginning. Like, should you have like a board that helps put that kind of business together and who's involved, who's not? Well, that's a that's a great question. And of course, the first thing I want to say is that family businesses can be great. They can also be not so great. And of course, we'll probably spend most of our time talking about the challenges or the difficulties or the aggravations or where it gets difficult. But I want to make a point of saying there are lots of family businesses out there that are just 
wonderful and they help the family members and they make beautiful businesses and they can provide wonderful services and help their community. So uh, let me begin there. Now, most small businesses do not have boards because for the simple reason they can't afford them and they're so involved in, in surviving and in just surviving that they're way too exhausted to think about having a board. But let me say this, as soon as that business gets big enough and who knows what that is, but the sooner the better, as soon as it gets big enough to begin to think about having some outsiders looking at how to help run that business, it's a great idea. Boards can be of enormous help. Now, you know, there are boards of directors which have a legal liability, and that gets you into a, a whole different realm, and that can become very costly. But you can also create a board of advisors, and boards of advisors do not carry a legal liability, and therefore, they do. you do not have to pay a board member great sums of money, and there you get people who are less emotionally involved, but who can bring in some great expertise and who can help balance the great emotions that come up in the family business. Now... Let's take one of the most difficult issues in a family business, and that is, let's say there's a family member who's not working too hard. Imagine the terrible kind of issue of when a father might be in that position of saying, I need to fire a family member. That's a horrendous thing. Families, of course, families should be about love. Family should be about, I think, unconditional love. And I think if you talk to most family therapists, they'll say that. But in a business, you have to be accountable. You need to work hard. And for whatever reason, if a family person, any person working in a business, given many opportunities, if for whatever reason, they're not able to perform a job, then they need to look at being in a different job or to get out of that position. And if the CEO is also the dad, well, that person may need to get fired. Now, that, that shouldn't happen in just one day. Of course, there can be a whole performance review system, and there should be. And the person shouldn't just wake up one day and be fired. There should be plenty of notice. However, the bottom line is, I think if anyone is not able to do their job, they should get out of that position. And the CEO is the one that needs to hold everyone accountable. Everyone accountable. And that means that means that the person who's not doing their job needs to be fired. Now, that's a lot easier if it's not just dad in control, but there happens to be a board of directors. Let's say you have a company of between 20 and 100 employees. Dad's the CEO, and one of the kids is the director of marketing or the director of sales. And let's say they're not doing a good job, and they've not been doing a good job for several years, and they've been talked to for a number of a number of times, and what they really have is a lot of excuses. They're not, for whatever reason, they're not able to perform. The company's getting hurt here. 
Everyone involved with the company is getting hurt here. You've got to get the person out of that position. Now, if you have a board there, it's going to be a lot easier for dad to fire that person than to just do it himself. So that's just one little way that a board can be of so much help. Besides the fact of helping the tremendous conflict inside dad of saying, gee, as my son, I hate to do this. But on the other hand, I got a total line here. I'm the CEO. And if this person's not helping the company to grow appropriately, reasonably, we got to get the person out of this position. Well, am I giving an answer to this? Is this helpful? No, it's great. And there's so many components to that. For example, let's look at the other side. You're a kid, you work in your family business, but what if you don't like your job in a family business? You should be able to leave, right? But there's a pressure sometimes maybe to stay in a business that you don't like because it's a family business. Can you address that? Yeah, why is everybody in this family business? And that's a great question. Now, sometimes, sometimes the kids are sort of overly frightened about getting a job somewhere else. Now, I'm in that rare position that I get to go and talk to many people in many family businesses. So in one example, there's a very nice, wonderful family, but the kids, now the kids here are 45 years old, 50 years old. These are not, you know, young kids. Anyways, I was talking with these kids and, you know, it did not take Sigmund Freud here to figure out these kids were very unhappy working in the family business. They were depressed. I said, what's going on? You're, you don't seem very happy. They said, right, we're, I'm not very happy here. I said, well, it's kind of like working in the shoe business and you don't like shoes, you know? So I said, well, I, I think you don't even like this kind of business. He said, well, I don't. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I, I'll never forget this. He, he said, you know, it would break my father's heart if I left. And I said, yeah, but what about yours? And in fact, on some level, I think that's what was going on. And of course, he was depressed and he was seeing a therapist for depression. What a sad thing. What a sad thing that, you know, he had picked up that his father was so unhappy. And for whatever the reason, he felt like it was his job to, to help his dad. He loved his dad. He didn't want his dad to be unhappy. And he didn't want to leave the family business in order, in an unconscious way, to take care of his dad. What about kids that don't get along? What about kids that don't get along at work also? Because sometimes you want to be there, but you may not get along with your brother and sister. Yeah, before I address that, let me just give you an opposite, though, example of another case where a son, this was a son who was in his 30s, very unhappy, working in a small business and lots of conflicts with his dad, lots of fighting with his dad. Dad was a little bit of a drinker. I said to the son, what are you doing here? You seem like a pretty unhappy camper. He said, well, I'm just waiting for my dad to retire. I said, well, have you noticed your dad is not that old? Your dad's about 55. 
He said, yeah, I said, your dad's in good health. I, I think there's no reason to think he's not going to be with you for a long time. He's not talking about retiring. Some people, you know, they don't, family business, they don't retire. Some of them keep working till they're 75, 85. You're talking 20, 30 years. This guy, this son's going to be quite unhappy for a long time. To go to your question, now that's a very complicated question. Siblings who don't get along. Of course, there are many siblings who don't get along, and there are many reasons. And I would say one of the most common reasons that I'm called into a family business is what we would call team building in the business, right? Team building among executives, whether we're talking about family executives or non-family executives, team building. If in the business, the executives are not able to work as a highly competent, well-functioning team, it's going to hurt the business, unless the particular business doesn't require much teamwork. So why don't these, if there are family executives at work, maybe they have a management team of nine executives and three of them are siblings. Why don't they get along? How deep do these conflicts go? You know, is it a three-month conflict or is it a 30-year conflict? And how do these conflicts get played out? So that's, that's a, a good place to bring in a consultant, particularly, particularly if the conflicts are quite deep. And usually what you find, usually what you find is that they are fairly deep. If the conflicts are unsolvable, what's going to happen when dad retires or passes away? In a case that I worked with, where dad was 90 years old and was beginning, of course, to lose his marbles. There were uh, four kids and dad had set it up so that each kid would own 25% uh, of the business, although only two worked in the company. And the two were in deep warfare with each other, not just conflict, warfare. And one was the CEO and one was the director of sales and the director of sales wanted the C his brother, the CEO, fired and was actively working towards that. Not that he wanted to be CEO, mind you. He didn't want to be CEO, and his division was not operating very well at all. Well, this is an example where the conflict was clearly, clearly tearing apart this company. This was a fairly large company, a mid-sized company worth in the hundreds of millions, and of course, they were destroying the family fortune, uh, as well as the growth of the company. Yeah. And let me add another component to this, Mark. By the way, you're listening to Mark Silverman today on Small Business Horsepower. Really have the pleasure of having him today on today's show. Mark, let me add another component here. We talked about the kids and what if they don't get along and so on. Now, let's say we bring in a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law as the business progresses, there's a lot of challenges in that, correct? Bringing in another party like that. <laughs> yeah, gets pretty exciting, don't you think? One of the standard recommendations that people in my field, the field of family business consultation, 
One of the standard uh, recommendations, we strongly recommend that every family business create what we call a family protocol or a family constitution. Just like the Constitution of the United States, there needs to be a set of rules, and everyone agrees to these set of rules. And if you don't have this, the whole thing's going to fall apart, and it's just a matter of time whether it's in year one, year five, year 10, et cetera, and maybe when it's gonna be when the patriarch passes away. So without a set of rules that everyone agrees to, you're in a lot of trouble. Now that protocol, and I think any good family business consultant would agree, that has to be developed by the family with the help of the family business consultant or consulting team. And that will include all the rules that the family members who work with or in alignment with the family business agree to. For example, how will compensation be set? How will salaries be set? How will perks be set? Can in-laws work in the business? If in-laws work in a side business, how will they be compensated? How will it be viewed, etc.? How will conflicts be resolved? Generally, what happens is that dad does all this. But as dad gets older or more and more siblings or in-laws get involved, it ends up, number one, taking up a lot of time, and number two, it can breed a lot of resentment. So there needs to be a mechanism, just like in the United States, there needs to be a mechanism to solve these kinds of conflicts that's reasonably fair and that's in alignment with the values and with the vision of the company. So it helps a lot to take a little time to say, what's the purpose? What's the mission of this family business? What are the values? What are the principles of which we're going to make decisions? What's the governance structure? Who or what body decides what? What's decided by the board? What's decided by the CEO? What's decided by the management team, etc.? How will conflicts and disputes be resolved? And if this agreement this protocol, this constitution is written collaboratively in a democratic kind of way, and it's signed by everyone. And then it's reasonably fair, reasonably just with what we call fair process. Then the odds that are that it'll be fairly good. And not only that, it will set a great example, not only in the present, but for future generations. And this is part of how real wealth is developed. Because of course, if the family does it right, if they do it right, they can create great wealth, as well as they can create beautiful culture and beautiful value, not just for themselves, but for the next and the next two generations. Well, let me ask you a question about that though. Let me ask you a question about that. What if the matriarch and the founder, even though they're a little bit beyond, let's say, their prime, doesn't want to let go of the business? Then what happens? How is that handled or should be handled? Yeah. So how is the power distributed and what happens? So the sad thing is, number one, 
when that when that happens, which might be their legal right, but they may actually then be involved in destroying what they most want to create. Because when you get right down to it and you say, well, what do you really want? Let's say you have a wonderful trusting relationship with these older people. What do you really want? Most of them will say, I want my kids to be happy. I want to build wealth. I want to help my grandchildren to have wonderful lives. I want to help this business serve the community in beautiful ways that we've served it maybe for 40 or 50 or 60 years. What do they really want? They really want continuity. And they want continuity under a certain value system. And it's usually a pretty good value system. But if they try to do it all autocratically, they're going to turn people away from them. So it's a matter of working out a culture and a structure that works for the next generation or two. And these people usually are not fools. They just may not have the best way of doing things. Or maybe they do. Well, but then who decides, like, because if the kids feel or the siblings feel that it's time for them to take over, but then the parents, let's say, who developed that business say, well, I don't know if my kids are ready for this responsibility. So there's a little bit of give and take, I would think, there. And how is that decision made? Is it by the family council? How is that done? Isn't that a wonderful question? And that takes us back in part to your first question, doesn't it? Is, well, do they need a board? Can a board be helpful? And the answer to that is, of course. Of course, because who is not biased, particularly when looking at their own family, right? Who is right. not biased? And the answer is, we're all biased. Absolutely. How could we not be biased? Now, there are times, of course, when the older generation can be much smarter than the younger generations, of course, and vice versa. But the truth is, is that we have to find a way, we have to find that win-win. Let me give you just a little tiny example. This was not a small business. This was a very large business with over 5,000 employees, and actually over 7,000 employees. Anyways, the second generation, let's call it the was the third generation, let's call it the second generation was in power. They were a group in their 50s. And there were a few in the older generation, they were in their 80s. And they were, of course, all retired, etc. Although some of them were on the board. And there was a place where they felt like the younger generation was making a terrible error, a terrible error. And the older, older patriarch, he was about 84. He is like he came back from the dead, you know, he wasn't dead, but he came back into power. It's like he took over the control of the steering wheel of the rudder, just for one decision. And he talked to the board in depth. And he said, I think you're making a major error here. And he moved the ship. And he is like he moved the ship, you know, 17 degrees to the left. And the board agreed with him after he convinced them. And that was it. And then he let back go. And he said, you guys can do everything like you've always been doing things. 
And a year, two years later, they all agreed he was right. So, you know, sometimes there's real wisdom there too. It's not black and white. It's not black and white. But that's an example of a great collaboration between the generations. And what about, I was thinking like, especially with the amount of drugs we have in today's world or drinking and, you know, just even showing up late to work or early. What about the special privileges that some people in the family want? Do you have a way to deal with that? Yeah, that's a, again why it's so important to have that family protocol, that family constitution. So it's not just like dad's picking on me. It's we make the rules here and we make the rules collaboratively. And, and the, the usual guideline is family members should be treated basically like everybody else. So does everybody get to come in 30 minutes late? Or, or no, we have a policy here that people come here to work at 8 a.m. and that's the rule. And if people come consistently late, they get a warning, they get blah, blah, blah. But in the end, they get fired because people need to come to work. When family owners, family executives, family members set the tone in the culture. And if they are excused from working at a high level, everybody in the organization sees that and that sets the tone. And that tells everyone in the organization, if you're a family member here, you'd either you don't have to work as hard or the same rules don't apply to you as it does to me. So, and the family owners have to say, do we care about that? Or we don't. And that's part of why you need that family constitution or family protocol, call it whatever you want. And there needs to be that place, which is usually called the family council, there needs to be that place to dialogue that issue. Say, what kind of culture are we creating in our family business? And how do we hold everyone accountable? Because if we don't do that, most likely we're going to create a mess. We're not going to create the kind of family business that probably we want. Mark, let me ask you one final question. Well, it's been a great half hour, so we're running out of time. But let me ask you a question. Do family businesses in the end hurt families? I remember when I had my business, I mean, I always said two things the, from the day I started it to the day I sold it, which was, I don't do business with friends and family. I mean, that was my decision. Now, we're talking about family businesses. So these people have already made the decision to do a family business. But does that hurt the actual family part? of the relationship. You have any points on that? Yeah, thanks so much for that question. I must say this half hour is just kind of flown by. And my answer is not a black and white one. The answer is it can. And on the other hand, it can help the family. I've seen I've seen examples where inside the family business, it helped family members actually learn how to love each other. It helped family members learn how to be with each other in some beautiful way. So I've seen that happen. And on the other hand, I've seen some very ugly things happen. I've seen in family business where family members really kind of abused each other, where they brought out the worst in each other. So the short answer to your very beautiful question is, 
It depends. So I would, I would, I uh, guess, leave with that kind of thought. Is the family business helping your relationship as brothers and sisters or parents and children, or is it hurting it? And if it's hurting it, ask yourself this, why, how come, and how can I change it? And can I, can I fix it if it's not too good? Can I improve it in the context of the business? And if I can, that's beautiful. And if I can't, then consider getting out of there. I'll leave you with one little tidbit of a family where there was great animosity between the father who was in his 70s and his children. In fact, the father had fired all of the children at one time or another from the business. It was quite a large, substantial business. And the children had a great deal of resentment against the father uh, for that firing and for many other reasons. But there was a time when the father got into significant business trouble and the sons came to help him. And that was a beautiful thing. And that happened in part because the sons had done significant psychological work so that they had gotten past their hurt and past their resentment to the place of their love. And that was a beautiful thing. And they were able to show that to their father in the context of the family business, which appeared to be the only thing that the father understood. He did not understand how to be a good father, but he did understand business, which the kids basically did not. And the sons, I think, were able to show that to their dad in a beautiful way. So the answer is sometimes when people understand the depth of the issues, they can heal problems inside the family business. And other times they really cannot. Mark, thank you so much for that. And thank it was amazing. And thanks for joining us today on Small Business Horsepower. Uh, we hope you'll come back on the show. I think there's a lot more to talk about, but we really appreciate you joining the show today on Small Business Horsepower. Thank you so much. A pleasure to meet you and uh, best of luck to all of your listening audience.